Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. An absolute blitzkrieg in the fourth quarter from the Boston Celtics last night. 40 to 16, 40 to 16 over the Golden State Warriors. They trailed by 12 going into the fourth, and then they just blew their doors off. It's Canty and Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. I mean, that, I don't even know how to describe it, what happened in that fourth quarter, especially when you consider that it was not Jason Tim. It was Jalen Brown at the yes, beginning of was. the fourth quarter. Yes, it was. It absolutely was. But Jason Tatum offensively last night, outside of, you know, setting up with 13 assists, in terms of scoring, he wasn't there at all. But, man, Derek White was, and Al Horford was there, and Jalen Brown was there. And a lot of those shots that those guys knocked down were passes from Jason Tatum. And that's why I do want to give Tatum credit, even though he had an awful shooting night, 3 of 17 from the field, the guy assisted on 35 points last night. That's a huge number. Carla, when I heard this stat, I couldn't believe it. The guy that has the most assists in an NBA Finals debut, Jason Tatum. Yeah. I mean, that, that shows an incredible amount of awareness. Not having his shot fall early on. He had the air ball three-pointer early in the game. He missed two free throws in the first quarter. It just felt like it wasn't going to be his night as far as scoring the basketball, but he found a way to be able to impact the game, and he set up those other role players to have big nights in their own right. And then Jalen Brown, him taking over that, that, that mantle as I got to be the guy in the fourth quarter, that to me was the catalyst to get everything going because he started that fourth quarter on a terror. 12 points. They went on a 12-2 run to open the fourth quarter. Jalen Brown scored or assisted on all 12 of those points. So important for your number two guy to recognize when your number one guy is having an off night and respond, and that's why – you got to give props to Jalen Brown as well. Emi Adoka had everybody respond in that fourth quarter. Yeah, for two reasons. I, I think, uh, like I said, we do look at ourselves as a team, and we've seen that with Butler. We know if you take those guys out, teams are going to struggle. And so we, we pride ourselves on everybody being able to contribute on both ends. So that's rewarding, especially on a night where your, your best guy has an off night. Others step up, and like I said, uh, some of the starters on the bench, other guys are playing great. Al coming in, stepping up late. So we do. It is rewarding and knowing we can play so much better. That's the main thing. Uh, didn't have a great three quarters and kept ourselves in the game and then locked down when we needed to. All right, I disagree might, with him. I don't yeah, think, they, I don't I think don't, you can play better. No, I don't, well, well, I disagree with that too. Though. Well, with no. Tatum you could play better, but yeah. I don't know if they could play better than they did in the fourth quarter. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I don't, I don't think they played bad the first three quarters of the game. Maybe They, they played, let it halftime. They, they played poorly the second half of the third quarter. That's yes. what I would say. Yes. They, they played poorly for about seven or eight minutes in the third quarter. And the Warriors thought they had it locked down. And the Warriors played poorly the entire fourth quarter. Yeah. So, and, and, <laughs> so, listen, I mean, the Celtics didn't play great in the first half, and they had the lead at halftime. Well, you say they didn't play great. I thought they did play great. I mean, Golden State tried to extend their lead early on, and Boston kept knocking down big shots mm-hmm. to continue to cut into the lead. They didn't blink, Carlin. 
And no, that's they the didn't part, blink. That's, that's the part I'm... that's most impressive. They knocked down big shots when they had to. They didn't And blink. they found themselves at the end of the first half with a two-point lead. But so I, I don't think I, Boston but, played but poorly. There was, but there were, no, it's not that they played poorly. I didn't think they played great. And I also thought, all right, they're up five. That means absolutely nothing right now. I thought they played good in the first half. Yeah. I did. I thought Boston played good in the first half. Again, save that half, that back half of the third quarter, Boston played a good, not great game. But, but, and their superstar had an awful shooting night, and they found a way to win. To me, that's a trademark of a championship-caliber team. At the end of the third quarter, though, the Warriors absolutely believed they had that locked up. I yeah, when no Andre Iguodala buried that. that three at the end of the third, they, absolutely. they thought they had it in the bag. No so question. So what happened in the fourth quarter? Steve Kerr. Well, give them credit. I mean, they made 21 threes. Um, you know, they were moving the ball really well, and uh, they, they had us on our heels. They made a, a good push, you know, to start the fourth, and they kept that momentum going. Um, it's going to be tough, uh, you know, to, to, to beat Boston if, if they're making 21 threes and they're getting, you know, a combined 11 from, you know, Horford and White. Um, you know, the, those guys um, give them credit. They knocked down every big shot in the fourth quarter. Um, they Boston was uh, just played a brilliant quarter, and they they came in and earned the win. Look, the Warriors didn't defend as well as they needed to, but you could hear the disgust in his voice right there. No, but see, here's the thing, Carlin. I don't even think that's disgust. I think that's Steve Kerr greasing the skids for his team and trying to set the tone for game two. Think about what he's saying. Well, they made 21 three-pointers, and and you don't think that guys like Al Horford and Derek White are going to make shots. When Al Horford and Derek White have made shots throughout the entirety of the postseason. That's why Ime Adoka trusts those guys but we in those spots. Come on. No, hold on. Let me, let, me, let, me finish. let me finish what I'm saying. Here's yeah. what I'm saying. The Golden State Warriors made 19 three-pointers off of 42% shooting. So it's not like there's this huge disparity when it comes to three-point shooting. That's not where Golden State won or lost the game. It wasn't the 21 threes for Boston. It was where they came from. And that, that's what bugs him right now. That's what is bothering him. He, listen. You and I talked before the show. If you're going to lose a game where Jason Tatum plays like that, it's going to sting. And it's stinging Steve Kerr right now when you hear how he, sit, how he speaks because when he, he's sitting there like, really, Derek White and, and Horford just beat us? Horford, he should absolutely not be surprised by that. And I, I honestly think, though, with that being the case, that if you're Steve Kerr, you can live with it when Tatum is going to do that to you. It's harder to live with when those two do it to you. And if we just left them open, that's on us. Well, I, I don't think it was just leaving them open. They were doubling Jason was, Tatum and Jalen Brown. Those guys, no, here's the thing. They were open. Yeah. And so I don't think Steve Kerr should be that surprised. You're talking about NBA players that are capable shooters. If they get open looks, they're going to make shots. The reason why those guys were open is because Jason Tatum took his scoring hat off and put his playmaker hat on. And when he's getting doubled, he creates a lot of opportunities for a lot of other guys. Same thing with Jalen Brown late in that fourth quarter. That's what those guys decided to do. They moved the basketball. They shared the basketball. They made the extra pass. And guys knock down open but, but shots. You can hear it. He can't believe the two of them made 11. Threes. No, I think that's what he's telling his team. That's what he's telling his team going into game two. Guys, those guys aren't going to do that again. That's an outlier. That's an aberration. And here's what I'm going to say 
if you continue to give Marcus Smart and Al Horford and Derek White and Peyton Pritchard open three-point shots, those guys are going to continue to make them because that's what they've done the entire postseason. Well, more than anything, then, what is what does the message have to be then? We have to do a better job on our rotations of getting there in time because maybe they were just lazy on it in the fourth quarter. Or maybe they were just gassed in the fourth quarter, which is something that we also have to consider. I, I'm going to say that a team that wants to get into a track meet to begin with, and because the Celtics were a little more physical and I've had a week off, I'm gassed? I mean, that's a tough one. You can say you don't buy it, but Mark Jackson, who I trust his basketball acumen and, and his ability to be able to break down what's happening in the game, he brought that out. Yeah. He said there's a lot of hands-on hips from the Golden State Warriors players going into that fourth quarter. You're talking about Boston being every bit as athletic as the Golden State Warriors are and a lot younger than that team is. The Warriors look to me like a team that at the end of the third quarter had this locked down, and then they got beat because Jalen Brown turned it on all of a sudden and made it a game again, well, and then everybody else took over. Well, here's the other thing I'm going to say, Carlin, and this, this, could, and fa- this could factor into the fatigue as well. I thought the referees swallowed their whistles last night. They let those guys play. There weren't a lot of ticky-tack foul calls, and that allowed Boston to be overly physical with the Golden State Warriors, especially when it came to their defense in the paint, which is why Golden State didn't get the bunnies at the rim that they're used to getting. So those guys wearing on you for the first three quarters can take its toll, and we saw that in the fourth quarter because the Boston Celtics were getting up and down the court. Try the $45 Silver Unlimited plan from Straight Talk Wireless with Nationwide 5G on America's best networks. Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. See terms and conditions at straighttalk.com. 5G-capable device required. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. Let's hit more of your phone calls at 888-SAY-ESPN. If last night changed any Anything about this series for you, Matthew is up next on ESPN Radio on Greeny. Matthew, what's up? Hey guys, how are you today? Great. Yeah, how could you say Steph Curry did not play bad? Why? Because you see, he has thirty-four points. He had twenty-one in the first quarter. That means he only had thirteen for the le- for the next three quarters. But it's not like Steph Curry shot, tied, you know, eight for thirty-one. When the game was tied, guys. When the game was tied. He had a chance to take the lead with a little floater layup that he usually hits. He missed it. Then he had a chance to cut it, the lead to three, and he missed a three-point shot. A good look. He just don't come through ever in finals. Wow, that's just not right. He's not won, right. They've won three championships. He's, I, I don't he's know, won I, three titles. They've been, to, they've been to six finals in the last eight years. He had 34 points. On 12 of 25 shooting, not to mention he was 7 of 14 from three-point land. You want to make the point that he got them all in the first quarter, that he got 21 in the first quarter? Okay, I'll buy that a little okay, bit, but so I'm not going to sit there and say he played poorly. So he was 5 of 14 in the second half. Okay, not great, but not awful. Steph Curry wasn't the reason why they lost that game. No. So I don't understand no. why we want to highlight Steph Curry. Absolutely Do we want to talk about Clay Thompson? Well, because his, Steph Curry Let's has, talk about Clay Thompson and his 6 of 14 shooting yeah. from the field. Let's talk about that. Steph Curry has the target on his back this series from fans, from everybody. If he can, we put an APB out on Jordan Poole. Can we do that? What the hell was Jordan Poole? Yep, absolutely fair. But Steph Curry has the target on his back because what we're all talking about leading up to this that Steph Curry has to go and win the MVP and really show that he's the man to put himself in that next level so everybody's going to point in that direction. We got to stop that. We got to stop that. Yeah. No, I understand that he doesn't have that on his resume. 
But Steph Curry was not the reason why Golden State In no lost way game was Steph the Curry the, the reason last night. Yeah. In no way. It's Canty and Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio and on ESPN+. Plus. We've got so much more to get into regarding this. Is game two, and listen, we hate the phrase as much as you do sometimes, okay? But from a Warriors perspective, is game two truly a must win? Or can they go down two games to none and still win this series considering who they are. We discuss, and we also get into um, the situation with Max Kellerman that needs to be addressed. He's had a bad week, and today uh, really did not help himself. (laughs) And we have expert analysis of it to back it up. Canty and Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Now, let's talk about the play of the week the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Canty and Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio and on ESPN Plus. Nature Valley has helped restore access to 10,000 miles of national park trails and counting because everyone deserves to experience what's out there, like your kids, their kids, even their kids' kids. So head over to your local park trail to see for yourself. Nature Valley, Nature Valley, life happens. Nature, Nature Valley, life happens out there. All right, all right. Make up a word? Listen, did you just make up a word? Nature, Valerie. <laughs> Nature, Valerie. <laughs> Apologies to the good folks at Nature oh, Valley. Oh my gosh! All right, I needed that. I needed that laugh. Matter of fact, I came to work for that laugh today. That's the one I came to work for today. Canty and Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio. How about Ryan Day, the head coach at Ohio State, in speaking to some boosters in a public group, tells them. He needs $13 million to keep his roster intact. $13 million in NIL money. We have officially hit that wall. Here it is. One phone call, and they're out the door. We cannot let that happen at Ohio State. I'm not trying to sound the alarm. I'm just trying to be transparent about what we're dealing with. He set the bar at $13 million. Chris. When's the salary cap coming? It's got to be coming soon. But right now, there is no salary cap. There is no luxury tax. So Ryan Day is saying, this is what I need for my payroll if you want us to continue to get to the college football playoff and competing for championships. This is what it is. It's the going rate. This is the cost of doing business. 
in big-time college athletics, especially when it comes to revenue-producing sports. So we shouldn't be surprised by this. Nick Saban intimated toward these types of things when he pointed the finger at Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, at Deion Sanders down at Jackson (laughs) State University. This is what it's going to cost to keep recruits. We saw what happened to Jordan Addison, the receiver that decided, the Bolitnikoff winner, that decided to leave Pitt and go out to Southern Cal. Yeah. There, there's a reason for that. It's because he got a bag, he got a house, he got a car, and he got a couple million bucks. There's a reason why we're seeing so many different players move around the landscape of college football. And I can tell you this, the reason isn't because this school offers a major that my current school doesn't. I can promise no. you it's not that reason. No, no, it's no, about no, no. putting themselves in the best football situation and being able to monetize their athletic ability at the college well, what I The most amazing part of this is not we need $13 million to go recruit new kids. No, we need $13 million to keep our roster intact, to keep everybody here from what we already have. Holy cow. It's I like mean, the movie Blue Chips, right? Where you had Penny Hardaway and he said... This well, is more blatant than no, Blue but, Chips. No, but, but he said, if I, if I leave the school, do, does, does my, my mom, mom get, to the get, the, get the house yeah. and job? He's like, you better be at practice on Monday. It's kind of like Ryan Day is saying the same thing. It's like, boosters, I need this money to keep these kids on the hook so they wow. can stay here because these are the guys I need to win. If you're not going to give me the guys I need to win, then Michigan is going to continue to close the gap. Hey, did you like us losing that game to Michigan Mm. in the big house at the end of the season last year? Well, if you didn't like it, then you need to pony up and give me the money that I need for my payroll for my student-athletes. Canty and Carlin in for Grinny. Doesn't that sound wrong, saying my payroll for student-athletes? It does. But but isn't that the reality of where we're at? Of course it is. It's 100% the reality, and now it's all just above board, and they can – and now Ryan Day can go out and publicly ask for $13 million. And by the way, he will be far from the last one to do it. But now the, they're all the, going to do but it. But here's the thing. Ryan Day with the Ohio State boosters is absolutely going to get it. Oh, yeah. And no doubt. Some. And then some. Absolutely. And he, he just got a $9 million a year contract for Pete's sake. Here's Richard up next on the telephone lines on Game 1. Richard, you're on ESPN Radio, bud. Hi, Chris. Chris, we saw the game last night, two months ago, almost to the day. Do you know what game I'm talking about? I have no idea. Okay. Chris, do you know? No. It was the NCAA final, Kansas versus North Carolina. Same mistakes were made, first time by Hubert Davis, this time by Steve Carr. Both times, they failed to call timeout right away when they saw Boston or Kansas coming back. Hubert Davis waited for Kansas to score 10 straight points, open the second half before he called timeout. So the 15-point lead went to five. See, it's to yes, me, Richard, yes, the this, timeouts, though, are not as nearly as much the factor okay, here. The difference with, with Curry was he took Curry out with three minutes to go in the third quarter. Once he saw them digging into that lead, they went from 15 to 12. The minute Boston scored that first basket, I would have put Curry in right away to stem any momentum. Now, that doesn't mean they would have won the game. But, Richard, they were were more than comfortable, and thanks for the call. They were more than comfortable with where they were at the end of three quarters. And, frankly, I think the Warriors were entirely too comfortable with where they were. No, I completely agree on that one. But I I don't think the timeout – usage was the problem for Steve Kerr and the Golden State Warriors in that fourth quarter. No, no. So, exactly what were the problems? What was most alarming about it? We ask one of our NBA experts. Greeny, the podcast. 
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. And I think this is bizarre for a strange reason. I, <laughs> I know I know that Micah Parsons believes 100% in his abilities, but going right at Demarcus Lawrence and saying, you're never getting the, the, the title of sack leader back on this team ever again. Is he trying to fire him up there? What is he doing there? I don't think he's trying to fire him up. I think it's a little friendly back and forth between teammates, but he's not lying. There are no lies told in that. (laughs) Michael Parsons is the best player on the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. And the Dallas Cowboys have two Hall of Famers on their offensive line in Tyron Smith and Zach Martin. Michael Parsons is the best player on that team. And I'll take it a step further, Carlin. Michael Parsons is one of the two best defensive players in all of football. Along with Aaron Donald. Yes. Listen, I don't think there's any argument for me on on what he did last year. And to think about how good he was as a rookie. It's scary. scary. It is scary. The, The versatility that he provides, not just in rushing the passer, but in doing everything that he can do. And the speed that he has. It is amazing to sit here and say how right the Cowboys were on it because, generally speaking, that's not what we're talking about. You're right. Over the last several years, uh, at least since they took you in the fourth round. But at this, <laughs> but at this point, um, I- I'm going to be surprised if Parsons is not defensive MVP at least three or four times in his career. Yeah, he's trending in that direction, man. Yeah. Just think about this. This guy had 13 sacks in his rookie year, 30 30 quarterback hits and 20 tackles for loss and three forced fumbles to go along with it. He's an absolute monster, and the beauty of Michael Parsons is you can put him anywhere on the field. I mean, you can line this guy up as a stacked linebacker. You can line him up as an outside linebacker. Just the versatility. You can put him over slot receivers and have him jam them and reroute them. Like, the guy has so much range as a linebacker. He's, I don't even want to think of him as a linebacker anymore, Carlin. I just want to think of him as a defensive weapon. Yeah. That's how special he is. And if you're the opposing offense, you got to make sure you know where number 11 is at all times. I guess I thought it was bizarre just because he – and he obviously had a magnificent year. Just because it's one year out and it's like, take a walk, old man. We're good. That, yeah. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. You know what it feels like to me? Mm. And I know this is rare air. It feels like what we saw from Lawrence Taylor in his rookie year. Yeah. Just that level of dominance. I mean, I, I – I Obviously, hate to put a guy there, of course. But that's what it looks like, of course. And but it's hard to argue with anything you said right there. Crowd starting to head to the exits here at Chase Center. 
Tatum working time at half court. Pass to Smart. Wheels and fires. Brown dishes to Horford at the cup. Scored and won. Emblematic of a fourth quarter domination by the Celtics here in San Francisco. Absolutely mind-blowing. 40-16, to 16, the Celtics outscore the Warriors in the fourth quarter of game one. And as a result, they have gained home court advantage in the NBA Finals. It is Canty and Carlin in for Greeny coming to you live from the Seaport District at Pier 17, brought to you by Chase. For more on the NBA Finals, we welcome in ESPN senior NBA writer. That is Brian Windhorst, who joins us right now. Brian, it's Chris Carlin, Chris Canty. We appreciate the time. What was your reaction to what happened in the fourth quarter as it was unfolding last night? Well, it was obviously an extreme situation um, to see that kind of play and that kind of shooting. I mean, it's pretty historic. Um, You know, we are in an era right now in the NBA where there's an incredible volume of three-point shooting, and all of these teams that are still, you know, playing at this late in the season have high-volume, high-skilled three-point shooters. So we're going to see... This type of stuff happened more in this era. But even under that context, it was a pretty wild swing. But I'll tell you this. Um, it was emblematic of the way the Celtics have been this whole season and even throughout these playoffs. They're a very resilient team. Um, now, did I think they were going to win this game when they were down by 12 going into the fourth quarter? No. But I um, I never you know, thought they were ever out of the game because if you watch the, the Celtics throughout the second half of the season – this is their game. This is the way they play, and it can it can drive their fans crazy at times because they tend to um, lose focus, and it contributes to them falling behind, whether it's in series or whether it's in games. And they have routinely been behind in series over the last couple of rounds. Um, but the, the Warriors um, are used to throwing a haymaker and getting a knockout. That's been the case throughout the entire history of this uh, this team, this core. And that's not going to happen with the Celtics. It's going to take it's going to take more than that. And I think that was a big lesson for them coming out of Game One. Wendy, I thought it was a curious decision by Steve Kerr to roll with a lineup in the fourth quarter for over five minutes that featured Andre Iguodala and Draymond Green. Offensively, you're talking about playing three on five against the Boston Celtics when they had Peyton Pritchard and Derek White on the floor at the same time. What did you make of that decision by Steve Kerr? I know in hindsight it's the wrong decision, but I felt like it took a little bit of the pressure off of Boston defensively. Well, the, the, re, the reality is, is that while in, in aggregate the Warriors have a good defensive team, one of the best defensive teams in the league, their individual defenders are just not super strong. So if you're going to have a lineup out there that has you know Jordan Poole and Steph Curry in it, and really right now even Klay Thompson. Now, Klay has still got great size. And so he can, um, you know, still be a, a, a pretty effective uh, shot challenger. But there's no doubt that Clay's quickness has slowed with those injuries. And so I, I don't want to say he can be attacked defensively, but he's he's not really any longer a, a, a plus defender. And so without Gary Payton, who was not, you know, it wasn't a big surprise to me he didn't play in this game. If you listen to what he said in the days leading up, it didn't sound like he was really ready. But without Gary Payton, they're kind of a perimeter defender short, and especially against a team with Boston, um, his, his ability. So Kerr is going to have, as this series unfolds, Kerr is going to have some challenges in finding lineups that are going to be effective defensively. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, 
the Celtics just got really hot. I mean, Peyton Pritchard played eight minutes of that um, of that fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is not a guy who is you know you have to worry about his size defensively. They just you know they were just a little sluggish. And if you looked at Al Horford's um, uh, you know he made six threes, and if you look at the the video of the six threes, most of them were times where they just were sluggish. I mean, a lot of the time it was Draymond Green just not getting out to him. Uh, or Andrew Wiggins, you know, two of their better defenders, uh, Green and Wiggins, not, um, you know, just not being, you know, tightened down on where Al Horford was in the rotation. So they're going to have to, in addition to whatever lineups they play, and I will say that Kerr getting Iguodala um, back, you know, it may have given him more choices than he needed in terms of lineups. Mm. Um, they're going to have to just tighten up uh, if they're going to, you know, uh, you know, handle the Celtics' overall power in the series. ESPN senior NBA reporter and, of course, host of the Hoop Collective podcast, Brian Windhorst. If you haven't subscribed to the Hoop Collective podcast, you are missing out, especially a great insight here on the NBA Finals. Okay, you used the word extreme in describing what happened in that fourth quarter. Chris and I have spent a lot of time talking about this today. If you're Steve Kerr, how concerning is it that you were unable to win a game where Jason Tatum had a major off night? He had an off night shooting the ball, but he had a, you know, he, I wouldn't say he had a bad game. He had 13 assists. Yeah. He was really able to, to trigger their offense. And, and this is the thing about Boston. They, they are, I mean, I, there, there was a, there was a pretty significant difference between the computers and the humans coming into this series. Yeah. Um, the humans at the sports books who are awesome at their jobs, I'm not saying I'm better. They installed the Warriors as a favorite. Um, wasn't a huge favorite, but it was, you know, a, uh, a healthy favorite. And then the computers looked at what the Celtics have done for the last four and a half months, and they installed the Celtics as overwhelming favorites. It's very rare that we see such disparity between, um, you know, the algorithms and, and the eye. And part of that, I just don't think, I think when you look at Boston, it's easy to not be super impressed by them because Al Horford is not, an overwhelmingly impressive player. You know, Robert Williams is kind of a guy who just plays at one end of the court. Jalen Brown turns the ball over a ton. Uh, Jason Tatum has these games. Like, you know, he's had three consecutive series now. He's had a game where he's just been woeful shooting the ball. And so it doesn't take you very long to construct a case, especially when you see how much force that the Warriors can play with, that you would think that the Warriors would be the strong favorites, especially with home court. But I'm telling you, it's hard to quantify, having been around the Celtics team now for over a month, it's hard to quantify the value that they have in, in what they went through this season. So we saw right out of the gate yesterday with a graphic on the screen in the first minute of the game, finals experience, Warriors, 123 games, Celtics, zero. And you're like, my God, this is an embarrassing uh, differential, especially playing in, in Golden State. But I'm telling you guys, the way this season itself has played out, the way the last two series have played out, where the Celtics were down three different times to the Bucks on the road against Giannis, against the champs, on the road, close out, in an elimination game. The way this last series went, where they had to go on the road to win game seven, that they were 16 and 19 at one point this year, and people were calling for them to be broken up. This team has been battle-tested. And, you know, the Warriors are going to have to respect that aspect about this team. 
Talking with ESPN senior NBA reporter Brian Windhorse on Greeny. And, Wendy, coming into this series, the perception from a lot of fans was that there was a distinct coaching advantage going the Golden State Warriors' way. But after the first game, I know it's a small sample size. Is it fair to say that there really isn't a deficit when it comes to the coaching situation between the two teams? Well, I'm look, I, I have a huge amount of respect for Steve Kerr. He's going to be a Hall of Fame coach. But there's something about Ime Udoka's um, demeanor is like almost like never, no coach I've ever covered before. Um, he is a guy who had to win everything he got in his career. He had to win by being tough-minded. And he kind of, in a way, reminds me of Tyron Lue in that regard, in that Ty Lue had, was a very tough-minded player and completely advanced his coaching career by being unvarnished with players and being like, look, this is what you got to do. I am not going to sit here and, uh, and baby you. I am going to tell you the way it is, and this is the way I've always uh, – the, the way I've learned it, and this is the way we're going to do it. And there were times that, you know, look, there, been, there were times in Ty's uh, early days as coach of the Cavs where he got up in his players' faces. And at the end of the day, his players ended up being a very resilient team. The 2016 Cavaliers that Ty Lue led to a title, one of the most resilient teams you'll ever find. Here are the, the Celtics. Udoka was up in their backsides early in this season, challenging them. And he was doing it in the media, too. He would, he would rip them to the media. And the media was kind of surprised, and he would say, I didn't say anything to you. I didn't just say to them. And it, 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 it wasn't punitive. It wasn't like old school, um, I'm just going to you know, yell at you to yell at you, um, you know, Bobby Knight style. It was, a, it was a constructive criticism. And that has built a backbone in this team. And so Kerr operates a little bit differently. Kerr, is from the day he took the job, he's been a guy – who wants to get his team with a positive energy flow? Um, Udoka is a guy who wants to who wants to you know build iron, and it has really worked for this particular group. And I'll tell you what, another guy who's got a similar resume and a similar demeanor is the guy the Lakers just hired. I am not surprised that the Lakers would look at the lay of the land and see how successful Tyron Lue is, and see what Udoka is saying, and say, can we get a guy who can help us like that? Wendy, last one, and trust me, just. When I ask this question, because it is on the cliche side, I do kind of hate myself. But when you look at game two, <laughs> is this a must win for the Warriors? Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty clear. Any team, you know, 2-0, uh, you know, potentially going on the road, you never want to see that happen. Because regardless of home court, I just I think it would be very difficult to beat either of these teams four out of five. So I thought that the Celtics, I mean, I, I would have almost, guaranteed that this was going to be at least 1-1 coming back to Boston. And I thought it would be the Celtics sort of pulling out a win. Um, but, yeah, although I will say this, the, the Celtics have been better on the road in this postseason than they've been at home, hmm. which is just – it was an indication of why the team can you know drive their fans crazy sometimes. Um, but, of course, of course the, the Warriors need to play better. They need to play 48 minutes. Um uh, I think, you know, you could go into X and O takeaways, but I think the biggest lesson that you could have in, in facing the Celtics this postseason, and especially in this series, you cannot get away with playing 38 minutes or 41 minutes. you got to play all 48, and that's, that's my cliche answering your cliche.
<laughs> Love it. <laughs> Brian Windhorst, ESPN senior NBA writer and, of course, host of the Hoop Collective podcast. We appreciate it, man. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Previously on Greeny. If Jason Tatum finds a way to get this done in the NBA Finals and win a championship at the age of 24, we're talking about him wearing the belt as the greatest player in the NBA today. Period. All right, let's not get nuts. <laughs> I don't think that's a hot take. That's not a hot take. He's already a top five player in the NBA. Quite literally, he was voted first yes. team All-NBA. Yes, top he's five, got his yes. Team, he's got his team in the NBA Finals. Best if, in the game? If they, yeah. Well, if they win the NBA Finals and yes. he gets Finals MVP, how can you convince me that there isn't a case to be made because that he's the best player in the world? Because you know in your heart of hearts that Giannis is still a better player. You know that. Carlin, you, you, you got to go out there that. and prove it. You got to go he out there and prove it. He did last year. Okay, but he didn't this year. Jason Tatum and his team beat them in the comp, in, in the second round? Yeah. They beat him in the second round and in seven games. he also didn't have Chris Middleton with him either. Okay, that's all well and good, but Jason Tatum with four games was the best player on the court. That was your weekly rewind brought to you by Dell. Gee, for I don't small- know how that's a controversial take because of Giannis listen for all your small business needs call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL Canty and Carlin in for Greeny we have been uh, teasing this so to speak for the entirety of the show Chris and I were in a pre-show meeting earlier today in the conference room here at the Seaport Studios and we looked up and Chris uh, saw KJM on the screen and said is Max wearing capri pants? And I looked up and I said, I'm, I'm not sure. And then we kind of had the discussion, is that acceptable to wear capri pants? Because, I mean, this did not appear to be a flattering look for Max. Is that fair? I don't know that capri pants on a man is a flattering look, period. Well, I, I have I, dynamite I, calves, so I think I could pull it off myself. But you would never try to. I would never try and to. And so for me, I mean, I know it was, but I rest it easy was, knowing it was I questionable could. because, you know, we're, we're doing a production meeting. It was a quick glance up at the screen, and I noticed it. But we weren't quite sure. Because right. sometimes when you sit down, your pants can come up a little bit. And so I felt like I needed to go into the KJM studio to get a closer look, well, before, which I did. And before that happened, we said, are we seeing things here? And I saw Molly Karam, who was walking by. Yes. And, I and, 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 and it's fair to say that Molly, in terms of fashion sense, is, yes. is a, lot more Without evol- peer. a lot more evolved than you and I are. Yes. yes. And so I said, Molly, is Max wearing capri pants today? And she said, I haven't seen, but now I have to see. Mm-hmm. But And I said, well, is that acceptable? And she said, well, I'm a woman, and I hate the way capri pants look on me. Yes. And that's Molly saying that. Well, it's not just Molly, because I asked Hannah Storm that after she got done hosting Get Up This Morning. Okay. And Hannah echoed the same sentiment as Molly did. Mm. So I don't think that it's acceptable. I don't think capri pants are an acceptable look for a man. And I know that... Memorial Day weekend is the unofficial start of summer, so maybe Max felt like, you know what, I'm going to try to get away with this. He might have weekend plans. He might be going out to the Hamptons, whatever, and think Capri Pants is the way to go. Yeah. But I feel like this is an opportunity for us to issue a public service announcement that under any circumstance, no matter what the season is, Capri Pants do not belong on a man. As you know, the two weeks of the year that are the craziest and most busy for me are Fashion Week here in New York. 
whenever that happens. Right. It is just right. absolutely nuts. Right. I am going show to show. If if there's a guy that's going to know fashion, you're looking at him. And <laughs> I'm telling you that Max with capri pants, and you can check for yourself on Chris's Twitter. Yeah, on my Twitter, at ChrisCandy99, I got a great picture of it with an yes. interesting caption, so please check it out. Yeah, and... I just I here's have the thing to say, I couldn't I couldn't call it I couldn't figure out what was more offensive the capri pants that Max had on or the dusty Air Force ones he was wearing because you know when you're wearing Air Force ones yeah. they have to be extra crispy especially if they're the white ones yep they're the white and whites you have to have them I mean you can get two or three wears out of them before you got to clean them or throw them away right you know what I mean and, and and Max it didn't look like he cleaned them. And he certainly didn't throw them away. Like, he, he, he's had these Air Force Ones for years. All right, but let's, let's just admit that after the week that Max has had with what was just an atrocious free throw attempt, yep. after apparently taking what he said was 200 free throws the day before yep. and making 15% of them and somehow thinking that was a good number, yeah. that Capri Pants on Friday to close out the week – Probably not the way to bounce back. Well, Kellerman was looking for a win. I mean, we can't forget his Steph Curry take, right? Steph Curry, he's got to be a finals MVP. Otherwise, he can't be a top 10 to 12 player in the world. Yeah. Remember that? He's got to show up in the finals because he never does. Didn't necessarily look great last night, especially in the first quarter, because Steph Curry showed up. So, I mean, he had the free throw that went left. He had the Steph Curry take that went left. Maybe this was his, I guess, attempt to find a win this week. Which I can understand. Sometimes you just got to get a win. Sometimes you just got to see the ball go through the basket. I get that. So maybe his capri pants, you know, he was looking at his closet. He said, you know what? These capri Mm. pants, I'm going to kill them with this one. They ain't going to see it coming. Yeah, he killed us with it, but not in the way that he was probably hoping. Tune in to an NL Central battle tomorrow. The Cubs hosting the Cardinals, presented by Progressive Insurance. Coverage begins at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. i tell you what. Kellerman's Capri pants, more shocking than the Golden State Warriors collapse in the fourth quarter? Boy, that's a good question. That's a great question. I Boy, don't know. I tell you what. Know. As I said, and you'll see. I do have dynamite calves, so maybe I'll try to give Max the benefit of the doubt. Wear a pair next week. We'll see how that goes. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio and see it with the video on ESPN+. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcast.